Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the readings. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was so much better than when we opened. All right. <laughs> that means you're awake. Good, good, good. So the Peach Festival is over. My vacation is over. We can get back to our series as we journey through the Apostles' Creed. Last week, we took a little bit of a break because of, uh, it was a shortened service, and uh, so I, I talked about something else. But now I'm going to ask you to do something hard. Get in your heads for a second and think back, not one week ago, which is hard for me, two weeks ago. When we talked about the Apostles' Creed, we talked about what it means to call God our Father. And so what we did was we spent actually a lot of time looking in Scripture and reading a bunch of Bible verses that uses feminine imagery to highlight something about God. We looked at a bunch of verses. So we talked about how God is not male or female, about how both men and women are both created in God's image, and how both men and women created in God's image reflect the goodness and the beauty and the love of God. We talk about how God is beyond that, that both men and women find their being in God. So we also then talked about how the reason why we, when we, we speak to God, we call God specifically Father because Jesus has revealed that to us. He calls God Abba, which is Aramaic for Father. We call God Father because Jesus called God Father and revealed that to us that we are to call God Father. So we talked about how us calling God Father does not negate or shouldn't be used to hide the feminine imagery in the Bible that we, that we see God uh, compared to God. Then we talked about how we call God Father because looking back at some of the theologians of the church, like St. Gregory, I believe, of Nisaranesianzas, said that it's actually God's proper name. And we talked about primarily it's, we call God Father because it is descriptive of a relationship, of a relationship. The reason why Jesus calls God Abba is because he's describing the relationship that God is wanting to have with us. So today, we're going to look at the part of the Apostles' Creed that says God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. So when we talk about God being almighty, the theologian named Tom Oden says, God is known by what God does. The most telling Hebraic name for God, I am, or the Hebrew word Yahweh, suggests that God simply and incomparably is. Psalm 89, verse 6 through 8 says, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? The answer to this, of course, it's kind of a rhetorical question, right? Who is like the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Who is like God? The answer is, of course, obviously, nobody. Nobody is. This passage is, is interesting because it acknowledges the existence, right, of other spiritual beings, but it says that God is the true God. He is above all. 
First Chronicles 29, 11-12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And that comes from the story of David's life as he's about to crown Solomon king, and he's reminding those who have gathered for that coronation, but he's also reminding his son Solomon too that everything they have is from God, that God rules over all things. So normally when we speak about God being almighty, you might hear like big fancy words being thrown out there, like the words omnipotence or all-powerful or omniscience, all-knowing, or omnipresent, which means everywhere. We're not going to focus on those because I think a lot of us have heard this, but we're going to do, we're going to take a little bit of a different look today at what it means to be almighty before we talk about being creator of heaven and earth. And so sometimes when people talk about God being almighty, you get bogged down in philosophical questions about what God can do and what God can't do. Has anybody ever asked you the question, can God make a rock so big that he himself can't move it? Right? Have you, has anybody ever heard that question? Yeah? No? You can talk back to me. It's okay. I remind you all the time, I was brought up Pentecostal, so I got to get a little bit of response every once in a while. But getting bobbed down in philosophical questions like that are, are, are actually the point. When we talk about Almighty, we think of the word power. We think of the word power. Someone all who is Almighty has real ultimate power. So then we ask ourselves, how does God show his power? We'll talk about that actually when we talk about creation in a couple of minutes. He shows his power through creating everything and upholding everything. But the power of God is shown primarily through something else. God's power is shown primarily through the cross, through the cross of Jesus Christ. So then we ask, well, why is God's power shown primarily through the cross of Christ? A theologian named Michael Bird says, it is in the shame and the humiliation and the powerlessness of Jesus on the cross that we see the power of God at work to save humanity from the evil of the age. And then St. Paul reminds us, right, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Power is exercised, demonstrated by Christ through self-giving love. Through self-giving love. So we see this especially through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we talk about God Almighty, God being powerful, we look at the cross. We look towards the cross. God's act of loving self-giving. Another theologian named Ben Myers, he says, God's power, like the power of a good parent or teacher, is the capacity to nourish other agents and help their freedom to grow. God's power is what guarantees human freedom. So we are made in God's image. God is free and has made us for free communion with himself. So now we talked about God being almighty. We talked about what it means how God demonstrates his power. Now we talk a little bit about what it means when we say creator of heaven and earth. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of an easy one, right? <laughs> well, God Almighty, okay, and he creates. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Hebrews eleven three 3 says, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things 
that are visible. So a lot of ink has been spilled, brothers and sisters, and many, 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 many arguments have been had over this. I've, I've participated in it myself, and I'm sure some of you may have as well, over just how are we supposed to understand the creation story in the first, two cha- the first few chapters of Genesis. Some will say, okay, when it says seven, seven day, six day God rested, so seven day creation, that has to be seven 24-hour days. Some Christians say today that if you don't believe this, then you aren't saved, right? Or that you're not even a Christian. They even say if you don't believe in this, you don't actually take the Bible seriously because it says days. So we know days are, are 24 hours. So if you don't think they're actually seven 24-hour days, you are actually doing damage to the gospel. I've heard this. Early Christians, some believed in the literal seven days, 24-hour days. Some didn't. But many also saw it as allegorical. So then we ask the question, why? Well, then you can say because time itself doesn't exist until God completes creation. And God doesn't even actually make the sun until I think what the second or third day. So how can you measure a day if there's no sun, right? Because that's how we measure a day, right? The setting and rising of the sun. Then some people say, well, the word translated as day could mean an indeterminate amount of time. And that's true. It could. But the word translated day, I think it's yom, can also mean normal day. So this is all speculative stuff. Not really the point of Genesis, but sometimes we get really bogged down just in that one part and we kind of miss everything else that's going on. The creation account, and there's a few, by the way, in Genesis, trying to figure it out, it's kind of not the point. So the point of the Genesis account isn't meant to be a scientific analysis of the origins of the universe, which it isn't, or something that needs to be fought for to be included in textbooks, then what is it meant to show? What is a creation account in Genesis meant to teach us? What are we learning about God from the Genesis account? The first one we, we, we learn about God being almighty, creator, the maker of heaven and earth, is that God relates to creation as its architect and its author. So we believe as Christians that God has created everything from nothing. We just saw that in Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13. Um, and then even in the passage from Ephesians, St. Paul says, from whom all bear his name, right? God is the architect and author of everything. God's power is what gives life to and sustains everything that ever was and everything that is and everything that will be. God is the ground and source of all being. The second way we're meant to understand the Genesis account here is the creation account stands against the creation accounts of the pagans. All right, so let me give you an example. Have any of you, and if you haven't, it's okay, have any of you ever been curious about what other religions or or ancient peoples believed about origins of, of the universe or creation? Okay, well, you don't have to raise your hand. You can raise your hand on the inside. Have any of you ever heard of the Enuma Elish? Okay, it's, it's, it's old, it's Babylonian, right? So it's like the Babylonian people. It's their version of the account of how everything came into being. And you're like, why are you telling us this? Well, just hold on and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So in the Enuma Elish, right? The, the chief god of the Babylonians was a guy named Marduk. He's a god. So there's a goddess named Tiamat. So what, they, what Marduk does is he has a war and he kills this goddess Tiamat. Then he takes her body and he uses it to create the heavens and the earth and to seal away the waters of creation. 
Then what he does is, because he's not a nice god, he kills another rebel god named Kingu, and then he uses his blood and his bone to create human beings. And then he says, okay, we've made these human beings. What are we going to do with them? They actually can do all of the work that we could do. So now all we get to do is kick back in our houses, and the humans will do all of our work for us. They'll grow all of our food. They'll make all of our stuff. We can kick it back up here while they do all the hard work. That's... That's the creation account of the Babylonian people. But when we look at the creation account in Genesis, which this is a companion to, right? It's from the same time period. We see something different in Israel's God. We see here that Israel's God doesn't need blood and bone. He doesn't need to kill something else to make something. Israel's God is so mighty that God creates by speaking. He creates everything from Nothing. And then even when he creates humanity, he doesn't create humanity through blood and bone. He creates humanity through the earth that he's created. And he doesn't create humanity to work for him. Then we see that creation is an act of God's self-giving love. God did not have to make us and the world and all things, right? He didn't need to make an earth. I've heard people teach that God was so lonely that he needed us. Has anybody ever heard that? I heard that when I was younger. God really wanted somebody to, or God really needed somebody to talk to. Has anybody ever heard that? God was so lonely and he was, oh, I need to talk to somebody. I can't believe what the Holy Spirit just told me. I got to tell somebody. So let me make a human being so I can talk to him. You'll never believe what the son just said to me. No, God's not lonely. God is entirely self-sufficient. He's com- God is completely perfect. God doesn't create because he's lonely. He chooses cre- to create humanity as an act of his self-giving love. And then God, even when he makes human beings in the story, he crafts us himself. So then we say, why does God create us? To be little pictures, little mirrors of God that shine forth the glory of God. That's what it means to be made in the divine image, is that we as human beings have all been, no matter who we are, no matter what we look like, man and woman, black or white, it doesn't matter. We all carry something of the image of God in us. As Christians, we believe that that image has has not been erased. There's some theologians throughout the years that have said, no, there's nothing completely good in us anymore, and that image of God is completely destroyed. I disagree. And so do lots of most Christian teachings throughout the, throughout the centuries. But that image that, of God that we all bear has been fractured and needs repair. It needs healing. But God has created us to be God's representatives throughout the earth. God creates humanity to be priests and kings of the earthly temple that he has made. That's the point of humanity, right? The Old Testament theologian named John Walton says, in Genesis, people represent God to the rest of creation. God does all of this because it is what love does, creates in order to share. So we think back about all of this now, right? Why is all of this important? Well, it's important to to us because it's to show us that all things have their origin in God. To get into arguments over how creation happened isn't the point of the story of creation. To show that God's power is unlimited and unmatched. 
There's nothing and no one, angel or demon, that can stand against God. The second thing we see why this is important is to show that the world is a good gift. After every act of creation, it says, and God saw what he had made, and what does it say? God said that it was what? Good. He said it was good. It doesn't say God sat back after what God had made and sat back and said, you know, I really think maybe I should have made humans a little bit better. Or maybe I should have given that snake a leg. Or maybe I should have given that horse an extra, an extra, I don't know, whatever. No, God looked at what God had made and God said that it was good. That it was good. Creation is a good gift from a loving, self-giving God. This is important, brothers and sisters, because after the New Testament is written, there is, a, 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 well, I shouldn't, it's not just monolithic, right? It's a bunch of different ones. But there is this movement called Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So what Gnosticism says, and this was in... Uh, you know, in conflict with Christianity, Gnosticism said that the world is bad. Physical, the physical world is bad. The spiritual world is good. So the goal of our lives should be to escape this nasty physical stuff and ascend to the spiritual that's the good stuff and the true stuff and the better stuff. But the problem was you had to ascend all of these different levels. And to ascend all of these different levels, you had to have gnosis, the secret knowledge. <laughs> and so how would you get that? You would need a specific set of spiritual knowledge to ascend each and every level. It was really difficult. They, what they did was is they said the physical world is bad. The spirit is good. Christianity says no. And we see, unfortunately, strains of this Gnosticism even in Christianity. There's a, an old song that's very well loved that I used to love when I was younger. It's I'll Fly Away. Does anybody remember that song, I'll Fly Away? Oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, and by and by, I'll fly away. That's kind of Gnostic because it's saying that the point of the Christian life is to leave God's creation. When we read the, the, the creation account, when we see scripture, we see that it's not to take us away, but creation and humanity, God's plan for us is to be renewed and restored. Not to leave, but to stay. And we see streams of Gnosticism, like even in popular culture, just kind of off the top of my head. And some of you will hate me for this because you have kids, but I was I saw a clip the other day online. I was like, oh, the Little Mermaid. And what does the Little Mermaid want to do? She really hates life under the sea, even though her dad's the good king, right? And even though she can go anywhere she wants, the ocean covers most of the earth, right? But all she wants to do, if I could just get out of here and get legs, I can go on land. It's going to be so much better because that's where the dreamy guy is, right? This desire to get away, to leave, Uh-oh, I was right. Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> I paid him. <laughs> he goes, all done. He wants me to be done. All right, I'm almost done, buddy. I'm, uh, I'm, I'll wrap up in a second, right? So the point is, right, this, this, there's even this strain in Christianity that the world is bad and needs to be destroyed. But no, that's not what's going on when we read the scripture. It's that creation is being rebuilt. It's being renewed because creation is good. 
a good creation of God that is to be enjoyed. But at the same time, we understand that it's sick with a disease. And that disease is sin and death. And that's the same disease that we as human beings made in God's image suffer from. Christianity is a religion that affirms the goodness of the created world. And we, brothers and sisters, are responsible as its stewards. So how we treat our world matters. How we treat the created order matters. How we treat one another matters. I remember many years ago, no, not too long ago, there was a a very famous firebrand pundit who said, the earth is ours to do with as we please. And they, I'm not going to repeat it from the pulpit, but they used language of assault to describe how we can treat the physical world. And that, brothers and sisters, is terrible. Because if creation is good, and if God has given it to us to be its stewards, that means then we need to treat it responsibly. And then lastly, all of this is important Because as we heard in the epistle reading, St. Paul says that you may all be filled with the fullness of God, to know God's love. And we see God's love on display through the good things that God has made. So as we close, we understand that when we call God the almighty creator of heaven and earth, we realize and we understand that all of the created order is a gift of goodness God has given to us. That means, though, that then also, as human beings, we are created as a self-act of God's self, an act of God's self-giving love. So how we treat one another matters. So ultimately, finally, if creation is an act of love from God to us, then that means that that love, that same love that God has shown to us through what he's done and through Jesus Christ, that's the same love then that we share not only with each other, but one another. Because that, that, that mission of being God's image bearers in the world, just because things have gone wrong, doesn't mean that we're freed from that task. It doesn't mean that that task is no longer ours. We're still called to be God's image bearer. We're still called to be mirrors of God's glory, of God's goodness, and God's love. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all the good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you. Hope to have you visit us.